Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James P. Friel. I am thrilled that you guys are here with us today. We've got a guest who's poised and ready to add a ton of value for everyone who's looking to grow and expand their business, which hopefully is everybody listening, unless you want to stagnate and slide backwards, in which case, stop this right now. We've got a great show in store for you. And oh, thank God, I see him cresting the horizon right now on his white noble steed, Coming into the studio, he's a little bit out of breath today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome the one, the only, the bearded wonder from the United Kingdom, Mr. Dean Holland. <laughs> Just arrived in time. How are you doing, James? Good. You, you like cut it really close. You made me nervous that I was going to have to do the show without you today. I did cut it close, but I, t- I tell you why. You know, just uh, just before we, we were recording, you said, are you close to your microphone? Well, I, I just looked down at my hand whilst obviously getting on the noble steed and realized my wedding ring was no longer on my finger. Uh-oh. So uh, that's, a, that's, that's a great that's way to good. start today's show. <laughs> so this is like a present situation. This, this <laughs> literally 10 seconds ago, I thought I had a wedding ring and then I looked down just as we're about to record and my wedding ring is gone. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully uh, by the time this airs, you will have found your wedding yeah. ring and and Robin will be none the wiser. Me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to the show nonetheless. Well, I'm looking forward to the show as well. So today we've got a really amazing guest. So Bill Bice started his first tech company at the age of 18, turned into an eight-figure business, eventually sold it to Thomson Reuters, and has since invested in dozens and dozens of companies Bill, I'm excited for you to be here and share your knowledge with us. Thanks so much for taking the time. I'm excited to be here too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to kind of go into your story a little bit before we get to you know, some of the wise sage advice that you'll no doubt share. What exactly was the kind of company that you started when you were 18? Yeah, and, and if it's sage, it's only because I've made every every mistake possible along the way. Uh-huh. In, including, you know, when, when I started that company at 18, I, I, I literally thought I knew it all. And so I, I wasn't open to advice or mentorship from anybody. And so it, it took me it took me a really long time to figure out how to actually run a business taking that approach. Uh, I, I tried to do the, try to do the exact opposite now. I, I know I know how little I actually know. So that that was a company that was we, we made software for law firms and corporate legal departments. We were really the first integrated, you know, sort of the SAP for law firms, essentially, they, they don't, they don't talk about it as an ERP system in that market, but it, you know, it was everything to, mm. to, to run a law firm. And was your like, were you, was your background in like coding or were you a tech guy or you just had a great idea or like, wh- where did that even come from? Yeah, I was, I was a programmer, just started working with a, a local law firm. And I've always said, you know, one of my big advantages is that I, I don't have a JD. So I actually had to listen to my clients and understand mm-hmm. what their, what their needs were. And, and legal is actually a really complicated area because every practice area in a law firm is really a different kind of business. And yeah. so you have to, you have to tackle that in a very, in a very different way. So it was, it was a great, it was a great challenge. And, you know, we had a lot of fun 
building that business. And then, uh, you know, eventually we became the, the biggest player in, in our niche of mid-sized law firms. And, and selling my little software company to Thompson got me on the, the management team of this, you know, $2 billion division of, of this right. huge company. And that was, you know, that was a, an amazing educational experience. I'm sure. So how long, how long before startup to exit was that? What, like, what was, how long was that journey? That, that was uh, going, going back to that. I had no idea what I was doing. It took me, it took 15 years. The, right. the last five years we had a, a CAGR over that time period. So average growth rate of, of 83%. We were on the Inc 500 for, for Jeez, three years in amazing. a row. Uh-huh. So we, we did eventually figure it out, but you know, it's, it's a whole lot easier if you're actually willing to listen to people who've been there and done that and, and, <laughs> uh, and learn from them. So you've mentioned that more than once now. Is there like, is there a particular situation that stands out to you during that period of time where you're just like, oh my gosh, if I just like had stopped for five seconds and listened to this one piece of advice, it would have made my life 10 million times easier. Well, I think it's in every, every facet of building a business. And, you know, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs today. So I guess the reason I emphasize that is because just in the same way that I had a tough time doing it, it's, it's something that I see with, with, uh, with entrepreneurs all the time. It's, it's a challenge we all have. Like you, you have to believe in yourself to be an entrepreneur. You have to have a, a, a sense of, of disbelieving the rest of the world to go do something that, that hasn't already been done that I think sort of puts you in this position. That's why it needs to be emphasized. And yet one of the great things that we have as human beings is this ability to project ourselves into the future, but we rarely take advantage of it. And the best way to do that is go talk to somebody who's already done what you want to do and learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. That is a hundred percent the best shortcut. And, uh, you know, I think, I think for me at first, especially, um, I just, I didn't know who was real and who wasn't. And that, that became, that was like a challenge for me at the time where I was like, man, I want to listen to other people, but some people, some people sound like they know what they're talking about, but they really don't. <laughs> That's true. I think, I, I think as well, like a lot of times you, you think, oh, I can figure this out. I, I don't need anyone. I can, I can, I can work this out. And yeah. Try. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and I you totally don't want to lose that. Right. I mean, that's your power as an entrepreneur. But if you combine that with leveraging experience and advice, you find the right mentors. And and that is difficult. Uh, you know, that's absolutely a problem of, of self-proclaimed people who have tremendous amount of confidence, but but no actual uh, experience. But but yet it's still worth the effort because a, a great mentor is going to move you forward at, at, you know, just a pace you could never do by yourself. Mm-hmm. So how long were you in the uh, the corporate role at uh, Thomson Reuters before you left and started other companies and investing in other companies and stuff like that? Yeah. So it was, it was three and a half years, which was about three years too long. And <laughs> I, I learned that I'm, I'm not a great employee. Uh, but despite that, I mean, it was, it was an amazing uh, experience and it's, you know, I really thought when I became part of this, this larger company that I would get exposed to this amazing sophistication and how a business is run. And there were definitely a lot more zeros after every number that I was looking at. But in reality, they, you know, they were running this $2 billion division, just like I was running my little software company. I mean, it was just as crazy and just as chaotic. It, there was just, you know, bigger numbers. Yeah. More, more people, bigger numbers, like more opportunity for mess, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and the thing that really 
that really brought me back to startups and entrepreneurship was that in a large company, it becomes so much about the internal market and the internal politics of what's happening inside that company. And, and what I get excited about is actually doing something in the market, doing something that helps our clients. And in large companies that, you know, they have, they have so much momentum on their own that the incentives of each person are really driven by what's happening internally as opposed to what's happening in the market. And that, that just isn't fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had the same experience because before, so uh, before I started my own companies eight and a half years ago, I was, uh, I was at HSBC, which is a really big company. And I would say in my position at that point, 80% of my time was spent dealing with politics and not creation or value add or anything like that. And I was like, man, this is just like sucking the life out of me. And, and this is actually great news for those of us who build companies because we wouldn't have anybody to sell them to if, if this dynamic didn't exist, right? Big companies need small companies to be the innovators and to create new mm -hmm. things so they can buy them and put scale into them. So it you know works out well for both of us. Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good ecosystem. So so one of the things I want to dive into is you know having you know started that company, sold that company, and then left and started a bunch of other companies. One of the things that you know you've talked about is how the biggest driving force, or at least one of the biggest driving forces in any business is effective marketing. And that's one of the things that holds a lot of people back. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, your point of view on that and what you think effective marketing actually is inside of a business as you're growing? Yeah, so this may not be shocking, but in, you know, all the, the companies I, I've started, invested in, and been on the board of, like, those cases where we were really good at marketing, we were really good at the go-to-market, we, we had, you know, we had pretty good success in those companies. And, and so you, you put all this effort into creating a great product or service, but in the end, how good you are at marketing really determines whether, you know, whether the benefit you're able to create happens, whether, whether you get the, the just rewards for all of that hard work. And so marketing is, is such a crucial part of every business. And yet the, the thing I've always found so frustrating about marketing is it's this one discipline where uh, it, it just seems to escape any effort to build scale and efficiency around it. Like we, we don't accept that in any other part of our business, but marketing, I mean, marketing is the area you go into if you don't want anybody to know what you do. That, that's like, <laughs> that's who goes into marketing. And, and we're in a, we're in a really wonderful age where we can actually tackle that and, and change it. And so that, 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 that was my, my goal for why, why I started a marketing company. To be able to like demonstrate like the return of the, uh, the investment and the effort in the marketing department. Yeah. Cause I, I had so much frustration in like every method of building an internal marketing team, hiring an agency, you know, having a CMO and contracting everything out. Like every model has its problems. It's really difficult to, to do well and, and really to do the hardest part, I think, which is to do it consistently day in and day out. It's just a, it's a tough thing to get done. And, and I think the lack of scale and efficiency is a, is a huge part of the problem. So you've got a, you know, you got a ton of technology products to, to try to solve the marketing problems. And then you've got a bunch of businesses that don't really have, you know, the, the, you're running the business, but rarely do you have the expertise and the time really necessary to implement all that technology. And, and so we got to find a, a better way to, to solve that problem. So do you, I mean, do you guys have a framework or a, you know, a template for how you do that? I mean, having, you know, been involved in so many different companies at this point, surely you must have at least uh, some guidelines that, that you run by to help you with that. 
Well, so yeah, as you mentioned, I'm, you know, I'm really a programmer at heart. So to me, it was all about the data. And that's the thing that's, that's really so much fun about marketing now is we're, we live in the opposite age. It's no longer, you know, I don't know which half of my advertising doesn't work. If, if you want to know, you, you can understand every single engagement that you're creating. In fact, we have too much data. So now we have to figure out how to turn that into information that we can actually make decisions on. And so I started by following the data and just iterating and seeing and seeing what really works. And, and it really came down to, you know, the, the thing that, that is most powerful in marketing is, is, is referrals, it's word of mouth. And now we live in this digitally connected age where we really can amplify that effect. And, and so our ability to take this core thing, I mean, it, it kind of sounds like, well, this is, you know, this is how my dad or my grandpa did marketing. It was, you know, it was referrals, but, but now we live in this age where actually we can have a dramatic impact on how that works and really drive the growth of our business by focusing on this core thing of word of mouth. So how are you, so, so word of mouth, obviously, I mean, those are always the best, you know, the best leads, the best sources, you know, there's, it's a, you know, it's just like a walking testimonial type of thing. So how are you, how are you amplifying that? So what's your, what's your strategy behind that? So I, I think of it as, as social currency, which is the, the, and a lot of it is, is frankly very basic, but it's the things that, that most businesses don't get implemented and, and, and don't do well. And if we're good at creating that social currency and giving people a reason to talk about us, then we will generate more referrals. And, and so a lot of this is really getting back to the, to the, the basics. One of the things that's so frustrating about being in marketing is, is you can be really good at driving leads for a business, but most businesses aren't good at actually capturing and following up on those leads. No, so, you know, we, we've got to implement the basics. In fact, one of the things I talk about all the time is before you spend a, a dollar on any form of paid advertising, you need to build the marketing foundation. Uh, everybody just wants to jump to leads. I would love to have more leads. You'd love to have more leads. But yet, if you don't build the marketing foundation that's going to really leverage that, your chance of getting an ROI on that spend is, it, it's worse than zero. We, you know, we, we know it absolutely won't work. You, you should just take a video of burning that money, put it on YouTube and hope it goes viral. That has a higher chance of being <laughs> successful. <laughs> I think Dean did that yesterday. <laughs> did it work? Is, is your wedding ring in that video too? Yeah, maybe that's where you lost the wedding ring, Dean. So, so talk about the foundation for a minute. I mean, I want to hear what you have to say about that. What do you think is the right foundation? Because I think it, I think you're absolutely right. A lot of people put the cart before the horse and yeah. they go after the shiny, sexy, like, you know, you know, thing that everybody's talking about, but they don't have the infrastructure or the base there. And then none of it seems to work. And then they just keep jumping from shiny object to shiny object, thinking that that's the problem. Right. Well, that perfectly sums it up. I call it random acts of marketing that, I mean, that, that is what <laughs> most businesses do. And, and then if we focus on the basics, right? So we really only have three core goals in, in marketing. So, so number one is, is let's be really good at capturing all the leads and referrals that are coming to us today. So for most businesses that are up and running and, and you're, I call it, you've already done all the hard work, right? You, you have a product or service that's competitive in the market. You're taking care of your customers. All, all those things have to be done because marketing doesn't, doesn't fix any of that. So if you're doing that, then you have some level of referrals and activity already occurring. Let's make sure we're really great at capturing that. And the number two is let's build in a level marketing operate, uh, automation so that we're always following up with, with every single lead that we create. 
it's just sort of human nature. So if you have a sales team and, and you're, you know, you're driving leads to them when, when they get a prospect that doesn't look like it's going to turn into a commission check in the next 60 days, frankly, they're not doing a hell of a lot with it. It's probably not ending up in your CRM system. And yet that's a great prospect six months or 12 months from now. So if we just do a better job of capturing them and staying in front of them, you know, doing things like having a nurturing campaign for each service or product line we have. So we're just staying in front of them. Then that all ties into the third goal, which is, which is building an audience that you own and control. You, you don't have to pay any third-party media company to talk to them. And then you just stay top of mind with them. And, and so if you focus on those three goals, then you get a marketing foundation. And for a lot of businesses, actually all the growth they need is sitting right there within that, that foundation. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Because it's like, if you don't have that and you just keep pouring more leads into it, it's like pouring water into a bucket that's got a bunch of holes in it. Yeah, like, absolutely. Right. One of the biggest issues that I see, and one of the things you just said, Bill, is is in terms of people's, uh, like how long people follow up for. Like I, I see such a common thing that people just stop their, fo- a lot of people have some form of follow up, but that generally will stop far too early in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. And really the follow-up should should never stop because what right. we're doing is growing that audience and then we're going to stay top of mind with that audience forever. That that is this is the hardest part, right? There's there's two core huge mistakes in marketing. The the first one is talking about yourself because nobody cares. So the the only thing that makes sense for you to talk about is what matters to your audience. What what's going to help them in their, you know, their business, their jobs, their careers. And it, it's really a 90/10 rule. Like most companies marketing is 90% about them. And we got to flip that on its head. It's, it's not that you're not going to talk about the new client you want or the new person you hired, but that should be 10%. 90% got to be about the value that, that you bring to your prospective clients. And, and then we get to the second biggest mistake, which is just not executing consistently. And, and you particularly see this in, in small businesses where, you know, things are slow. And so we focus on marketing for a while and wow, things pick back up. Uh, but then they slow down again because we kind of forgot about this thing called marketing. And, and you just, you have to do it day in and day out if you really want to get, uh, get results. So one of the things, one of the things you said a couple of times and I agree with, but I want to hear your take on this. Like, how do you stay top of mind? Like what's, what's your strategy for, you know, doing that over a consistent period of time? It's a good question. So that's, game. that's another, yeah, that's another 90, 10 rule, which is it's 90% about, great content. It's, you know, insight, perspective driven content that really you, you got to put yourself in the shoes of your audience, your prospective clients and talk about the things that really matter to them. And if you're doing that, then you can talk to them all day long because you're really giving them value. And, and we get over issues like, so, you know, we still see in the, in the data, this is a classic, you know, email is dead, long live email. The email is amazingly effective. Yet we all get way too much email and the solution for that, everybody hates. The solution is you need to send more email. And, right. and the reason that people have pushback on that is because you, you get crappy email. People keep sending you stuff that you don't care about. But if you're actually sending out things that are really helpful, that, that are insightful, that are sharing perspective that they can only get from you, well, then they're going to want to get your email and then you're going to be top of mind and you'll be driving social currency that gives next time they have lunch with a peer and, and this issue comes up, the, the, the issue you address, well, you've just created a new referral that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, I have, you know, 
I'm sure just as many emails coming in as anybody else, but there's always a couple that I pay attention to because I'm like, oh, every time I read this, I learn something, mm-hmm. I get something new out of it. It's 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 good stuff. Like I want to read it, right? Whereas some other ones, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I can't delete it fast enough. <laughs> it's one of the reasons I'm a really big fan of 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 having a niche. If you really, if you push yourself hard enough that it's uncomfortable, you're like you're really defining what you're great at, which means that you're turning down money from other places. But you, and this is a lesson I've had to learn multiple times. And yet every time I actually get there and really focus on the highest value portion of the market where I'm, where I'm doing the most for this particular kind of client, that's when I know I've really got a niche. That's when the business really starts to take off. And if you're doing that, then you get a perspective because now you're working with, with hundreds of businesses like that or, or clients like that. And, and your client is stuck in their world. They're running their business. They're living their life you're bringing to them perspective that they can't get anywhere else. That is, yeah. that's the benefit you have in the market. And it's the beauty of getting a really great uh, niche defined. So just going back to this whole concept of amplifying the word of mouth referrals, like how, like, how are you guys doing that? And what do you see as effective in that space? Well, so uh, uh, two, two examples. So if, if we're talking in, in B2B, the, the, the thing I love about B2B is that it's actually really simple because there's only three channels that we, have to, that we have to be great at to do a really good job in B2B marketing. It's your website, which should be the centerpiece of everything, email marketing, and LinkedIn. And, and whatever you're doing on LinkedIn today, you ought to multiply it by, by 10. I mean, it's just taken off like crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and so in email, we have, we have your whole network, every client, every prospective client you've had, everybody you know, we got to get them captured in your email list. And then when the way we grow that audience is through LinkedIn and, and we can create one stream of content that, that's really great stuff that we put across all these channels. So we're sending out regular, regular emails, we're making posts on LinkedIn on a, you really have to up your, your frequency. You should be talking on LinkedIn four to six times a week, every week, staying in front of this now much bigger audience that we're going to get by running a connection campaign. Because the beautiful thing about LinkedIn is it's, it's the ideal networking event. You get to, you get to go someplace where you only meet exactly the people you want to, you don't have to eat horrible food while you're there. It's just, it's ideal. It's wonderful. Meaning, meaning like I wouldn't even have to associate with Dean there, which is, you you know, something that makes me very uncomfortable. You wouldn't have to. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I couldn't resist. But Dean might be in your your perfect target audience, in which case this would be the one place that you can actually get to him. Uh, Exactly. I think you need to realign the way you're thinking this through, James. This is one of those areas where I just like, you know, I'm being stubborn and I'm not willing to ask for help. And I guess maybe this is just like it's turned into an intervention somehow. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, so I think it's interesting to dive into this whole, uh, topic of LinkedIn bill, because I would say most of the people that are listening to this show, I'm sure there's a handful of people that are doing things on LinkedIn, but you know, Facebook has been the, the shiny penny, you know, go advertise on Facebook and find people and, and all of that stuff. Can you talk a little bit about the strategies that you've seen to be effective on LinkedIn? I mean, you've mentioned you know, creating content and building connections and stuff. But what's your, what's your, you know, kind of 30,000 foot strategy on making LinkedIn effective for a business who is marketing to other businesses? 
Yeah, so I would say Facebook was a lot easier 10 years ago, right? It's become much more competitive. It, it, it can still be very effective, but it's a lot harder today. Well, LinkedIn today is like Facebook 10 years ago. It's, it's really wide open. It is much easier to make an impact on LinkedIn today. So if, if your prospects are on LinkedIn, then, then, then that's, where you, that's where you ought to put your, your effort. And, and if you have this kind of, of niche, then you can really target exactly who you want on LinkedIn, which makes it really effective. And you can do it without spending any money. You can, well, you, you need to sign up for Sales Navigator, which, which is absolutely worth it. But using Sales Navigator, you can go in and, and do really in-depth queries to get to exactly the people that you want. And, and if you do this well, if you optimize your profile, if you don't, if you come into it with the right attitude, really just like you would in a networking event, like, you know, you'd never walk into a networking event, meet somebody for the first time and immediately pull out your PowerPoint and start going into your sales pitch. <laughs> and, you know, that's what people do on, on LinkedIn all the time. You, you need and to, build I, and to be honest, I've, I've met a few of those types at actual networking events. <laughs> I'm that remote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's well, right. You're like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> and, and we and we all get out of that as fast as we can. Totally. And everybody has the same exact reaction on on LinkedIn. But if you go in with the attitude of, I want to, you know, I bring real value to my network and I'm here to build my network, it will create sales opportunities down the road because now you've got the audience of, of exactly who can benefit from, from your experience and your insights. And, and so it's just a matter of, of, of really doing it regularly. So if, if, if we're running a connection campaign for somebody, we're sending out 40 to 50 connection requests a day, every day to exactly the right people for them. And it's with, you know, individualized messages to, that are to that one person. It's one of the biggest mistakes in LinkedIn is to say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to invite a lot of people. And so then you start writing the message if you, as if you're sending it to a lot of people, but you're, you're connecting mm -hmm. with one person at a time and that's how you need to mm -hmm. talk to them. Mm -hmm. And so, and so from there, so what, you know, one of the things, so you said there's, you know, these three things, website, email, and LinkedIn. So is the, you know, is the goal then to get people off of LinkedIn to your website, onto your email list? Like how to, what are the mechanics of, you know, that, is that, mm. you know, something that happens organically or is there, you know, kind yeah, that, of a little bit more intentionality behind it? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely what we want to do. So we want to get as, as much of our audience on LinkedIn onto our email list as possible. The best way to do that is to make posts on LinkedIn that, that send people to your website and, and this is where the, the tactics uh, really do matter. So we, we, we got to have great content, but if we do that, then how we make those posts really matter. So making your posts on LinkedIn, so the post itself isn't a link, you, you'll get four to six times more organic exposure by, by not having the, the image itself be a link. You just add the link to the, within the text of the, of the post or, or as mm -hmm. the first comment. And you just naturally get more exposure in the feed of your audience. That gives you more opportunity to, to get more likes and comments and, and to have your, your content take off. But we want to drive people to the website. And then, and then the real key is to understand the, the customer journey of, okay, now we get somebody to our website. We're going to take all the content that we're creating on the website and interlink it and now see, okay, the people we're sending from LinkedIn, how are they using our website? What do they find interesting? How can we learn about that so that we can make our next iteration of content better and just do that over and over again? Yeah. 
Awesome. Dean, uh, as per usual, I've been hogging the mic. What do you have to say? Oh, no, pretty awesome. I, I, just to, just to, uh, just to ask in relation to what you just said there, I've seen, uh, I've, I've actually not used LinkedIn hardly that much in all honesty. It's just not been applicable to, to the things that we've been doing, but a few people, um, that I've seen claiming to, to, to know what they're on about with LinkedIn. A lot of times they'll, they'll talk about doing sort of direct cold outreach through messages with people. Is that, is that not, not really the, the correct way? Just, just throwing that out there. I, I think it's absolutely the wrong way. I think it's totally overdone. So it, it has worked for a while, but people on LinkedIn are really getting frustrated by that kind of, of direct sales approach. Yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine that being the case. Yeah. I, I really think you've got to come in with, with the attitude of, of building your network, the direct sales is getting to the point where, where people are just really, uh, really turned off by that. And if, mm -hmm. and if you have a longer term view of your business, then, uh, th then you really want to build a network and, and you'll get, you'll, you'll get some, some early lucky wins just by reaching out to people because you happen to talk to somebody at the time they're in need for what you do. Right. And, and they, you know, they go to your profile and see what you're doing and they start a conversation with you. The, the technique that we have found to be really effective is it comes from the challenger sale. It's, it's taking, it's creating a reframing article, which, you know, the, the whole, it's a, you know, it's a book that I, that I, that I just love that, that basically says, if we take a consultative approach to sales, we're going to do a whole lot better. And mm -hmm. one of the best things you can do is follow up with each connection request and share with them an article you've written that's completely non-salesy that just shares that experience that you have that comes from working with businesses like them. And, and the reason we call it reframing articles, because what we're looking for is a specific issue that we can give them a, a very different way to look at to sort of open their eyes to it. And, and that's great at starting conversations that gets you, that gets a relationship going and that creates new sales opportunities. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. When you put it that way, it sounds so easy. <laughs> You know, it's like everybody's out there like, oh, man, we got to try this thing. We like got to do this. And it's like, well, you know what? There, I think there is a time and place for cutting edge strategies. But if you don't really have those basics down, it it just, oh, man, it just seems like a lot of wasted effort. Yeah, I think there's way too much focus. I mean, it's it's marketing, not miracles. And and we would all love to have miracles in this area. And, and sometimes you get some really great wins like that, but rarely does it work if you haven't, if you haven't built the foundation in order to take advantage of it and, and none of it's actually that complicated. It's just that it's, it's hard work. And, yeah. and really the hardest part of it is getting that, that steady stream of really great content. That's, that's the thing that, that everybody struggles with. It was, it was the hardest part of doing what we do. And, and what we ended up doing was building a network of subject matter experts. We've got 300, some of them now that are, you know, know their area inside and out, that is how we're able to get really great content. And, and I think you have to do the same thing in your business, because if you rely on doing it internally, it just, it never, it never works. You, you've got the ideas, you need to have somebody whose job is to execute on it for you and, and create that content. Awesome. So, uh, so where can, uh, where can people connect with you, Bill? Well, you've probably gotten the feeling that I, I love talking about uh, marketing. You can reach me at, at CEO at boomtime.com. You can find me on, on LinkedIn, of course, and, and see exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, our website is, is at boomtime.com. And I'm, I'm, I'm slowly following in your footsteps. I've, 
I started a, a podcast, the B2B word of mouth marketing podcast to, ah, to talk about all the things we Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to learn and uh, just, just sharing all the things that we have learned in doing this with, with hundreds of businesses. Did you find yourself a, uh, a British co-host who rides into the studio on a horse for your podcast? With a and pretty it, it does not sound nearly as good as Dean does. <laughs> well, that's amazing. I didn't, I guess the bar is pretty low. Uh, <laughs> this is like one of those gems in the rough that you, you're not not appreciating yet. Yeah, yeah. I've learned so many lessons today. Thank you for that next lesson, Dean. <laughs> um, well, Bill, it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for thank you for sharing what I think is just advice that you can't hear too often. You know, master the basics, get the foundation in place, focus on you know consistency and progress, and you know measure what you're doing. And so. Thanks so much for being here. We uh, we definitely appreciate you. Thanks, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And so for our listeners, thank you guys as well for joining us for yet another episode. We uh, we appreciate you guys. Quick shout out to all of our listeners in Zhengzhou, China. We, you are on our radar now. We know about you. And uh, for the rest of you guys, great to uh, great to have you here with us as well. Make sure you tell your friends and family about us. And we will talk with you guys next time. Later, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipsshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to go from being a hustling entrepreneur to an effective CEO, capable of running your company without being stuck in the day-to-day, visit me for free training and resources at jamespfreel.com. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.